Boy, thank you, Kevin. You know, that song is, uh, comes out of Isaiah, you know, who talked about the coming of the Christ. Uh, that's what we've been looking at this uh, uh, Advent season. And Mark actually read the scripture earlier. But let me just remind you from Isaiah chapter 9 when he says that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And Isaiah goes on and he says that light would be in the form of a child. And he says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. That is the light that has come into the world. Friends, our memory verse this month uh, also speaks of that light that was to come into the world from Isaiah chapter 7. And I trust that you have uh, committed this to memory by now. Uh, And uh, invite you to stand and to say this with me. From Isaiah 7, 14. Let's say that together. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. And now let's pray together. Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in our church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And may the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. And Lord Jesus, we would ask today that your name would be held in high honor, that you who came as the light of the world, so that those of us who walk in darkness might see the light, so that we might know uh, that you are indeed the, the light of the world. Lord, we would ask that today you would shed light into our hearts. We would ask that today uh, that you would come and minister to us in a very real and powerful way. And we just ask that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Linda and I got this wonderful card this uh, week in the mail that said, it's a boy. And our daughter Esther, who's due in May, uh, just found out that uh, the child that's going to come is going to be a boy. And we're so excited because isn't it exciting uh, to announce a coming birth? And I imagine that's what God felt when he began to announce uh, that the child he was going to send would be a boy. And we've been learning this uh, Advent season that God had begun that announcement at the very beginning, even in the garden, uh, when men and women sinned, and God said, someday a child will be born. And then all through uh, the history, uh, he said the child would be descended of Abraham and of Isaac and so on. And last week, we learned from Isaiah that God announced that this child would be born of a virgin and that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
Well, a, little, a couple chapters later in today's text, Isaiah says that if, I, if that child is Emmanuel, God, with us, then there are certain things that we can expect him to be. And so this morning, Pastor Bill and Peggy and I want to share with you these four things from Isaiah chapter 9, where it says this Christmas child would be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But our real desire is not just to share with you, but to allow God to come and to be those things for you this morning, beginning with a wonderful counselor. As I was thinking about uh, being, being a wonderful counselor this week, and I, and I was wondering, what is it that would cause someone to say, he or she is a wonderful counselor? What would make a counselor wonderful? And the first thing I thought of is that a, a wonderful counselor would understand you. Because isn't that why we go to a counselor? To help them or to let us understand why we feel or act or, or think a certain way. And can you imagine a counselor that understands you so well that he knows all about you? He knows your past. He, it, he knows everything, not only what you think, but why you think the way you do. That's the wonderful counselor. That, that's what it meant there in, in Psalm 139 when it says, Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That means he knows why I think the way that I do. He says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all of my ways. He said, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. The wonderful counselor understands you. He knows your past. He knows everything that's been in your life. And he knows how to help you. Because this wonderful counselor, not only does he understand us, but he is able to sympathize with us because he came as flesh and blood. He lived in a body just like you and I. And when Isaiah goes on to talk about what this wonderful counselor would be like, he explains that this wonderful counselor has experienced experienced in his flesh nearly everything that would cause us to even need a counselor. And look what Isaiah says. He said he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Did you hear that? Nothing to attract us. That meant he wasn't attractive. There was nothing in his appearance that would make us want to go to him. That means he understands when you don't match up with what society says you should look like. He understands when, when your appearance isn't what society says it should be. He knows what that feels like. You know, it says that he, he was despised and rejected by men. He knows what it feels like. 
to be rejected. He knows what it feels like to be despised. You know, it it says that he was a, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He knows what it feels like to hurt deep inside because he's felt it. It says, like one from men, whom men hide their faces. That means he knows what it feels like to be ignored. You see, when we look at Jesus, we discover that this child knows what it feels like to be betrayed, to be falsely accused. He knows what it feels like to be abused. We have a counselor who can sympathize with all of our deep emotional wounding. That's why the writer to Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And and the writer there simply saying, when it seems like life is too much, when it seems like you just need a counselor to help you get through, you can go to the throne of grace and there you will find a wonderful counselor who understands you and who sympathizes with your weakness and what it is that you need help with, and he promises that he'll help you. You see, when you go to the throne of grace, you find a counselor with whom it is safe to dump all of your secret shame. All of those things that you've tried to keep hidden inside, all of those things that have wounded you emotionally, you can come to the wonderful counselor who knows it all, and you can leave your shame there. That's why the Bible says you can cast all of your anxiety upon him, all of those things, because you have a wonderful counselor who cares for you. And then one step further, Isaiah says that this wonderful counselor actually takes your emotional wounding, all of your pain and hurt, and he takes it upon himself. That's what it means when it says he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrow. And so this morning, do you need a wonderful counselor? Is there a part of you, a wound deep inside that you've kept hidden? And the counselor today says, I've come to bring you healing. And so if you need a wonderful counselor, I'm just going to invite God to do that. And if you need a wonderful counselor this morning, I'm just going to invite you to open up your hands to just receive as I pray for you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we confess that our lives are messed up. God, we confess that sometimes we don't know what to do. And we need a wonderful counselor to come and help us. 
And so this morning, Lord, I'm asking that you would come to those who are carrying those burdens and that you would remind us that you've told us to come to you and you would lift our burdens, you would carry our burdens. And so to the one who right now is opening up their hands and saying, God, I need you, will you come and be the wonderful counselor? Lift a spirit of depression and anxiety. Lift the weight of shame and guilt and be the wonderful counselor because you are not just the wonderful counselor, but the mighty God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to start off my section with an easy question. How many of you love babies? Oh, come on. How many of you love babies? How many of you love someone else's baby? <laughs> Got a better answer than that. You know, we, we see Jesus in the manger as a baby, and we think of him in, on intimate terms as a wonderful counselor, a savior, someone who has come to save us, to love us. And seeing him on intimate terms, it might be more difficult to think of Jesus as mighty God. Now, we think of someone mighty as being distanced from us, powerful, maybe someone in Washington or Columbus. In fact, I remember back when I was young, because I was young once, I distinctly remember it. I was serving another church here in Ohio, and there was a very prominent active member. I was with them in a Sunday school class, and she made the assertion that Jesus came into existence when he was born. And being young and impetuous, I, of course, interjected that this was not, in fact, the case, that Jesus existed. In fact, he was the one who created everything. This scripture points to the truth that Jesus is, in fact, mighty God. Unless we believe that Jesus is mighty God, we will have a distorted view of Jesus and the gospel. Now, this prophecy from Isaiah tells us that the coming Messiah will be called Mighty God. And in the Hebrew, the word God, El, in itself means mighty, the strong one. But then Isaiah adds to it the adjective Mighty God. And when the Bible says things twice, especially within the same sentence or paragraph, it's meant to emphasize this fact that Jesus is, in fact, the strong one, the mighty God, truly omnipotent above all. And in the first chapter of, of the book of John, we can see why, in fact, Jesus, the coming one, is truly mighty. It says, in the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So through Jesus, get this, through Jesus was made all of the depths and endless reaches of the universe. We have just landed the InSight spacecraft on Mars to to study its geologic structure through measuring Mars quakes. I didn't know Mars had Mars quakes. But they're going to study that planet all the way through. And we think that's an amazing thing that we can travel to Mars. In fact, that human beings may one day land on Mars. But God made not only the Earth and Mars, he made the endless reaches of the universe. The Hubble telescope has captured amazing pictures of the vast reaches of God's handiwork like this one, of what is called the Bubble Nebula. It's 7,100 light years, that's 4,500 trillion miles away from the Earth. The Bubble Nebula itself is 42 trillion miles in diameter. That's that blue bubble there. This seething star that you see in the middle formed this nebula. And it's 45 times more massive than our sun. The gas on that star gets so hot that it escapes away into space as a stellar wind moving at four million miles an hour. And this outflow sweeps up the cold interstellar gases just like a snow plow sweeps the snow in front of it. And the gases are heated to varying temperatures and it has these different colors. Oxygen is hot enough to be the blue light in the bubble near the star, while the outer pillars are yellow from the constant light of hydrogen and nitrogen. Jesus, mighty God, has created not just this nebula, but all the reaches of the universe. This same mighty God loves you so much. He not only made you the crown of creation, but he came to this earth in Jesus to save us and make us new. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now we ask, how could such a mighty God even think about me, much less care for me in particular. Me, Bill Kelly, Aaron Brown, Peggy Hoyt. Why would such a God even consider that we exist? Aren't we just moats drifting in this nameless universe? But David expressed wonder In his Psalm 8, when he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Why indeed? Well, Paul explains why. He explains Jesus' motive of love in the second chapter of Philippians. Jesus being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, the mighty God, creator of the universe, was born in a manger, died on a cross, and rose from the dead. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you. I want you to acknowledge that. I want you to say, Jesus loves me. Just say it. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Jesus, mighty God, loves you. In particular, Jesus loves you. The mighty God invites you to come to him with whatever you need, whenever you need it. When he was here with us, Jesus said this, Ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. The mighty God is here for you, with you, loves you, gave himself for you, and now he wants to meet your need. And you know, you can say this all day long, but it's in the reality that we discover that this is true. When God actually reaches out and touches our lives, we see that this is true. Last week, We had people stand for prayer. And one woman in particular wrote this in in response to what she received. Said, hi, Pastor Aaron. I'm writing to inform you that my prayer has been answered. I stood up on Sunday service and two ladies put their hands on me and I felt others touching me too. I felt as though I was being held with very strong arms. But the pain in my ankle, which is the reason she stood for prayer, became very intense. I wanted to sit down. I prayed along with them, asking God to take away my pain. I felt sure it was going to go away, but it would be in his time. I didn't think about it the rest of Sunday. I was having pain every night and day, sometimes not as bad, but always there. I haven't had pain since I went to bed Sunday night. And my knee pain and sinus pain are gone too. God is so good to me. Thank you so much for praying. And on Friday, she wrote another email. She said, I'm doing very well. I have no pain in my ankle and haven't had since I went to bed Sunday night. God loves me. I don't know why, but he does. It is fine with me if you share my story. It may help someone to believe that he answers our prayers. Beloved, mighty God, the creator of the universe loves you, cares about you. He's here for you. 
and answers your prayers. So I want us just to take a moment and bow our heads. And if you need something from God this morning, if you need a healing, if you need comfort, consolation, if you need a physical provision, come to him. Lift your hands to God this morning. Oh, Heavenly Father, you see our hands and our hearts lifted to you this morning. You are the mighty God. You have all things in your hand and under your control. You care and love for each one of us. And so, Lord, we come to you this morning asking for your love and your provision. We come expectantly, knowing that you love us far more than we can ask or think. And as you answer our prayers, we will give you the glory in the name of Jesus Christ, mighty God. Amen. As we turn towards the next title that Isaiah proclaimed for the coming Messiah, we find Everlasting Father. In the original Hebrew, that's Aviad. Aviad is a Hebrew word used for the perpetual head of a family or a clan. And looking at the words everlasting and father in Hebrew, we find that everlasting is eternal, unmeasured time, a negative end of space, and unchangeableness. And father, we find nourisher, provider, upholder, and originator of the family. It is here in Isaiah that God speaks of his timeless endurance and his fatherly relationship with his people through his son, Jesus Christ. There are two things that we need to understand as we begin to examine Aviad, Everlasting Father, and that is that the title is given to the Messiah. It is the quality of the Messiah with respect to God's people as the father of eternity, the forever father, the father of our salvation. The next thing we need to understand is that the adjective everlasting is not referring to the eternal nature of the eternal being of Jesus Christ, but it is referring to the eternal nature of his love and his care for us. So as we begin to examine uh, Everlasting Father, I thought it would be interesting to look at it briefly through Psalm 103. Psalm 103 gives us three truths about our Everlasting Father, that he forgives our sins completely that he knows us completely, and that he loves us completely. The first one that uh, the Everlasting Father forgives us completely in Psalm 103, verses 2 through 4, it reads, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of our sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. And later on in Psalm 103.12, it tells us what the everlasting Father does with our sins. He removes them as far as the east is from the west. And make no mistake, 
It is through his death on the cross that that is achieved. Jesus was willing to be covered with the shame of our sins on the cross so that we could be covered in his goodness and his glory. And what do we do to receive that? We just have to believe that he is who he says he is and that he has done what he has said he has done. And then we need to just repent and run into the everlasting Father's arms. Our next truth found in Psalm 103 is that the everlasting Father knows us completely. Psalm 103:14 says, "He knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust." This is supported throughout scripture over 14 times. And in one of the verses, John 1, uh, verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. That's pretty clear. Psalm 139, which I love, speaks these words. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. The constant questions from humanity, whether you're Christian or whether you're atheist, of who am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going? What is my destiny? It is the everlasting Father who knows us completely that has those answers. We are created by him, for him. He knows us completely. The third truth found in Psalm 103 about the everlasting Father is that he loves us completely. Psalm 103.8 says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Imagine that love in your life, abounding, plentiful, overflowing, endless. Humanity's heart yearns for endless love. And not the endless love that was sung by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. You remember that? My endless love. Okay, I won't, I won't sing it for you. But we're talking about the endless love of the everlasting Father. The song that I refer to here is uh, called Reckless Love by Corey Asbury. I don't know if you've heard it, but I want to read those lyrics to you this morning. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed life into me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Oh, it chases me down and fights till I'm found and leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, the never-ending, the reckless love of God. Later on in the song, it says, there's no shadow that you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. 
There's no wall that you won't kick down. There's no lie that you won't tear down. Coming after me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. Church, it took me a long, long time to grasp this truth about my everlasting Father and to accept that love. I had a brick wall built around my heart because of wounds inflicted upon me by my earthly stepfather. Just hearing the word Father would send chills up my spine. For 13 years, I had been beaten and molested from age 3 to age 16 by the evil hands of my stepfather. I had a father wound in me. My experiences with my stepfather made me detest the title of father. And therefore, I rejected my everlasting father. But my everlasting father did not reject me. He pursued me with his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. And I surrendered completely to him. Thank you, Jesus. In a small church in New York almost 20 years ago. And as I close here, I just want to ask you, do you have a papa wound in you, a father wound, a stepfather wound? Did you have a father who wounded you in any way, your earthly father, hurt you or mistreats you? Maybe you weren't abused, but maybe you were neglected, and maybe you didn't even know that you were loved by your father. Maybe your father left before you even knew him. Have you any reason or any hindrance in you that prevents you from accepting the everlasting Father's love? Are you yearning for it today? Yearning for that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God? I want to pray with you today. So I ask that you just close your eyes and hold out your hands and receive the Father's love today. Oh, everlasting Father, we are imperfect humanity. There are just many layers of brokenness, Lord, in this world and in our lives. And Lord, I just take this time to pray over those who truly have been separated from you because of something that was done by their earthly father or stepfather. And I ask that you heal, stretch out your hand and you heal them. And let them experience that. Let your peace wash over them as they're enormously aware of your never-ending, reckless love, Lord. Wash it over them. Heal this land that is broken so that they may come to the full wisdom and knowledge of you. In your precious name we pray, amen. And then finally, let's just consider the Prince of Peace. Isaiah said, uh, in speaking of that peace, in Isaiah 54, he said, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfaithful, 
unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And friends, that passage in Isaiah is right in the middle of messianic scripture because the child that was to come would be the prince of peace and he says to you today that even when the mountains are shaken even when your life seems to be in upheaval even when those things that you thought were solid and could never be shaken you find shaken even then God comes and the prince of peace says my peace I give to you. And so he's here this morning to bring you peace. 